Thanks for listening to the latest Football Digest podcast, available on all major podcast platforms. Subscribe now through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever you get your podcasts from, so you don't miss a single episode. Hello and welcome to the Football Digest Extra Time today. I am joined by Ned Keaton, who is not in a good mood today, Spurs fan, (laughs) uh, who did not enjoy his Sunday afternoon. We've also got Tom Canton, who's beaming, absolutely beaming after a comprehensive victory in the North London derby. And to be honest, I don't know where to start. Do you start with how good Arsenal were or how bad Spurs were? And I think we'll start with you, Ned, because... I think we have to get the, yeah, get the negative <laughs> stuff out the way to begin with. I mean, how how do you digest the first, well, the first 45 minutes of that game it was as poor a Premier League performance as I've, I've ever seen? Oh, it was a car crash, wasn't it? Um, you kind of, when you're in derby games, you want to seem that you're up for it, that you're up for the fight, you know, kind of obviously form goes out the window and all of that stuff, you know, it's a different game that you've got to treat by itself and, and kind of take it in, in kind of isolation. But you've still got to show certain things. You've got to show a bit of, willing you've got to show a bit of heart a bit of fight a bit of battle as soon as that first goal, goal went in you kind of knew what the rest of the game was going to go like you knew Spurs weren't going to come back into it because there was no heart no fight no battle and it's funny because when Arsenal were on their losing run back in August that's something that I think I've previously said in one of these podcasts that I think, I think it was before the uh, Man City game Connor we were talking about that one and I said that Arsenal wouldn't do it because they lacked that that fight, that hunger, that battle. And that's exactly what Spurs lacked yesterday. You know, the, the difference between the two teams in the space of three games is, is uh, from a Spurs point of view, horrific. From an Arsenal point of view, I'm sure they're loving it. You know, it's, it's, it's so, it, it's flipped so much. And and yesterday kind of really highlighted it, that, that Spurs are, are in a horrific way under Nuno, that, that we've got a long way back to go. I think John Cross kind of summed it up again Um you know, about kind of how Arsenal now look like the team on the up and Spurs look like the team on the way down that, that have got a long way back. And again, you go you go back three games and everyone was saying the reverse of it. Um, so yeah, a, a difficult afternoon for Spurs fans to swallow uh, and one so much that I nearly refused to come on this podcast. But I, I've managed to kind of come here and, and treat it as a bit of a therapy session at least. At least I'm getting that for free. Yeah, I mean, well, we'll obviously come back, I suppose. But Tom, we're going to bring you in here because you know <laughs> Arsenal. I've sat. I remember on deadline day, I was I was taking the mick out of you, you know, about mm. how the, the way Arsenal was going, and it yeah. really was glum at that time. But now we're looking at three straight wins in the league. Obviously, won in the the EFL Cup as well midweek. Things are looking very very rosy at the minute for Arsenal. And yesterday was just kind of a testament of that. Yeah, I I don't want to, you know, come across naive and think it's going to be all sunshine and roses going forwards now because as we've seen from the start of the season and from how Spurs' form has changed, things do change incredibly quickly this season for all the teams. Like, we were just having a chat off air about the City-Chelsea game and I'm sure we'll talk about that later on, but it shows the unpredictability of this season and what you might think is is going to happen suddenly turns out to be something else. I, I was admittedly a little frustrated about the amount of emphasis there was focusing on kind of the Spurs performance rather than kind of looking at how Arsenal have improved since those games we mentioned against Chelsea and against Manchester City. Because as Ned says, the the battle, that the the drive to win that game yesterday, the hunger to win it was there from Arsenal. And they just simply, I think Gary Neville said it in commentary, like they just clearly just wanted it a hell of a lot more than, than what Spurs did during the game. And Nuno said afterwards, he felt like he set things up wrong, that he'd made mistakes in team selection. But I mean, you look at that Spurs lineup, like 
it's it's still very decent. There's a lot of decent players in that team. Go on, Ned. I feel it, like you want to no, 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 you're right there. There is a good team there, but I don't know why on earth he thought playing just Hjoiberg as a holding midfielder and then mm. Deli Alli and then Dombele next to him. I think that's where he may have been saying it. I, I agree with you. Yeah, like, yeah. There's enough quality in it, but I just think, you know, I, I don't know where he thought playing Hjoiberg as, as defensive midfielder, as one defensive midfielder. Like even N'Golo Kante would struggle to, to kind of win a midfield battle against Arsenal with that. So I, I think, at least he admitted that. But yeah, no, you're spot on. There is enough quality in that side that we shouldn't have lost 3-1 at least or, or been where we were after, what, 40 minutes. Yeah, it's always for me a case of in North London derbies is the thing that I'm petrified of is a certain Harry Kane. Like I'm absolutely terrified of what he does in North London derbies because time after time he punishes Arsenal. And it's I, I didn't want to read too much into the, kind of the struggles that he had at the start of the season because just fate was telling me that this would be the game in which things turn. Uh, and... I remained apprehensive about his form, but seeing it in the flesh and and there and so blatant that the performance level has dropped, it's so intriguing from a a psychological standpoint whether that prospective move and that decision to to end up staying and whether the decision was even his in the end obviously is, is up for debate, but that he was so desperate for the third goal to try and make up for that error that he made on the edge of our box that eventually that led to an effective assist for Bukayo Saka when he slid in and just pushed the ball forwards into open space, kind of really summed up his his character at the moment and his performances and, and how Arsenal obviously used that to their advantage. But it was, I think, a, a massive step up in, in performance from Arsenal and, and they should be fairly credited for it. Yeah, there's so much to talk about. And you, I suppose you mentioned Harry Kane there. Ned, may as well throw it back to you. You know, <laughs> that spit, to me, it felt like Spurs were pressing, but like very inconsistently. Son was very active. I'd say he was the most active of the, the front line for Spurs, and he was pressing. But the other players, they weren't pressing in unison. Um, I thought Harry Kane looked laboured. He didn't look, I'd say he didn't look interested but he just didn't look at himself. I mean, what did you make of that Spurs kind of front line and it just never clicked from moment one in the game? It didn't know. And I think, again, that goes back partially to, to the defense, uh, to the midfield, sorry, because they couldn't, they couldn't win the ball. They couldn't win that battle. And that's always key in, in these tight games. Well, you like to think they're tight games. Obviously Arsenal ran away with it in the end, so it wasn't too tight, but, but, there wasn't anyone to win the ball back apart from Hjordberg in midfield. No one else to put the kind of hard yards in, the dirty tackles and, and kind of way to break it up. Arsenal had Thomas Partey and, and Granite Xhaka to do that, which allowed their front line to flourish. And that's where you look at the difference. That There wasn't these players that could have, you know, kind of come in and help Spurs kind of really get stranglehold in midfield. Like playing Deli Alley that deep is never going to do it. And playing Ndombele in there as well. Like, you know, it, it, was just a, it was just farcical away from home. You wouldn't do that at home. So I don't know why you do it away from home as well. Um, but yeah, you're right that, that kind of Spurs as well, when they did try and attack and did have the ball and they did look, you know, kind of, you know, as you said, they're laboured, sluggish. You know, there was that chance midway through the second half as well with Harry Kane where he went through, whether or not he would have been pulled back firstly for the foul on Tommy Asu, whether or not he may have been offside as well. I think there was there was kind of calls about that. But but the one where he, you know, stuck it wide of the post, it was almost like he'd accepted that he'd committed the foul, but he wasn't going to stick it in the back of the net. And that's a completely different Harry Kane to what we've seen in the past where he is ruthless and he'd still stick it in the back of the net anyway and make the referee have a decision to make. Made it rather easier for the referee and the officials. They're just like, all right, okay, goal kick. We don't have to go back to it and check anything on VAR or whatever. But there was, there was just that whole, and, and, and that's the whole mindset of the squad, that there isn't this killer instinct in this Spurs squad at the minute, that there isn't this whole, you know, even under Mourinho last year, we were quite good 
on counterattacks because there was almost like this chaos theory, at least at the start of, of, of the season, you know, not so much as it kind of wore on. But, you know, we're kind of breaking, you know, Son down the left, Bale down the right, Kane going through the middle. It's like, which one do I pick up? Where do I go? You know, yesterday we'd, we'd seem to get the ball in the final third. And I'd be watching, and look, obviously it's a lot different when you watch it on TV, of course it is, you know, but you'd be sat there and there'd be like, passes that you'd see and you kind of I'd be that sad I'd be like pointing out going past it to him past it's there and it always seemed to pick the wrong pass in the attacking third and, and and that made it a hell of a lot easier I think as well for Arsenal to defend it because if you're not posing the questions and then we're just knocking it around and not really doing much with it you know there was no intent there from Tottenham yesterday at all you know even even after we got to go back and there was 10 minutes to go you know like this time last year we'd had similar happen to us against West Ham we've been 3-0 up West Ham scored with 10, 15 minutes to go and, and then they managed to get two other goals. And that's because West Ham went for it, went for it, went for it. We weren't able to follow that up yesterday. You know, we had a, we gave ourselves a chance of getting back into a game that we should never have had a chance to get back into, but we just didn't put the the, the foot down. There was no belief, I think, throughout the squad from from attack, from defensive midfield, across the whole team. And that's what cost us yesterday. And Tom, what did you make of, I mean, touched still on Spurs, um, but what do you make of the amount of, balls that just went out of play the amount of times mm. in the first half Tottenham just went long and it went out for a goal kick or just went straight Aaron Ramsey it was bizarre it was like they weren't looking at where they were passing I think it was forced to be honest I think that Arsenal's press really did hurt Spurs specifically we've, we've spoken on the Arsenal way a lot about Erdogan and how he's brought in and his energy just just ruthlessly just continue to run as if he's just like a Duracell battery that's never going to run out because he just kept pressing Lloris and, and, and Sanchez and Romero just pushing them all the entire game and when you think about he's someone that's known for his creativity and his passing and that the fact that that's now been instilled in his game is a credit to Arteta and what he's about and what he's doing and then the fact that you've got a striker like Aubameyang who isn't known for running he's known for being a finisher a fox in the box to get on the end of chances as he did for the second goal but even he was inspired by the running and the pressing of, of the team and the players around him that he was pressing the back line so I, th- I think that forced Lloris a number of times to, to kick the ball wide or out of play or into positions where his defenders were under pressure and they had to then just kick it long to try and get it out. And ironically, Arsenal a number of times from Ramsdale specifically kicked it long and it's looked at in a very different way because Arsenal have played themselves into trouble so many times trying to play out from the back in the past, especially with Bernd Leno in goal. But Ramsdale just has this ability to kind of relieve pressure on that defensive line and they trust him when passing in the ball. There was only one moment which ironically led to the second goal where he played it a little bit short to Huey and it was Xhaka that got a foot in on the tackle and and it's still off a debate whether that was a foul or not um, but obviously that led to the second goal in the end but that that Ramsdale decision making and his kicking is such a step up from Leno that whilst Uris couldn't really deal with uh, that that pressure from Arsenal Ramsdale and the back line certainly could from from the pressing that came from Spurs what do you make of Ramsdale overall, Tom? Because when he when he was first Love brought him. in, there was a there was a lot of joke though, wasn't there? Initially, you know, the, the sign yeah. to keep out being relegated twice, and was he really an upgrade over Leno? But he seems to have fit in very, very well at Arsenal. And I think you've got to give credit to the recruitment team there. Certainly early doors, of course, but they seem yeah. to have got that one right, even though there was a lot of criticism about that signing at the time. 
Yeah, well, that goal from Son's the first goal that he's conceded this season since playing um, clean shit against West Brom, Norwich and Burnley. Uh, and I remember hearing some reports from Germany suggesting that Leno was promised to be being brought back in for this game. Not sure how you can ever <laughs> formulate that kind of thread, but it was a case of Ramsdale's earned that spot so quickly and through deserved performances. And that at any time, the shots that came in, I mean, you remember the shot from Lucas Moura that was deflected right at the end when he just got a hand to it and tipped it onto the bar. Those types of inspiring saves along with his distribution is such a step up. And when we paid 24 million pounds for him, people were thinking, why are we paying 24 million pounds for a backup? Like we, we got in Matt Ryan for six months in January from Brighton and could have got him on a free. And I know that we wanted a homegrown keeper, but you could have brought a homegrown player in elsewhere. We brought in Ben White that counts. And we've obviously seen a lot of step up from the youth team as well to make up that quota. But Ramsdale was pushed for by Arteta. Edu, we hear for according to reports, was leaning more towards Neto in the final stages of the window because Sheffield United weren't really budging on their price. But Arteta pushed ahead with that deal. He was like, no, I want this guy. He's the one that's going to be my goalkeeper for the future. And within a few games of him being here, you can absolutely see why. And Ned, last last one. I'll, I'll put you out your misery space here. <laughs> You'll be done here after this one. But... You never want to say, you know, six games into a Premier League management career at Spurs that Nuno, you know, is he the man for the job, the questions, etc. But it did look like a man who was defeated yesterday. He did not look like somebody who knew what they were going to do next. No, and that, and, that, and that is the worry in itself, isn't it? That, you know, you kind of, as a manager, you always kind of have to have a plan B, C, D, and it doesn't look like we've got anything past plan A under Nuno, unfortunately. And it's funny because obviously you go back to, again, you go back three games and then, you know, football is a very fast changing environment. Everyone knows that, you know, kind of, you know, win one game, you're up, lose the next game, you're down, you know. I mean, this is the same for Arteta as well. You know, everyone's singing his praises this week, but if Arsenal lose heavily next weekend, then, you know, he's back to kind of square one, bless him. Um, I, I can't see, you know, Arsenal are a big team and, and you know, kind of onto a, a winning run now anyway. But with Spurs, that's the issue now, is that they're in a rut, you know. We, we even we even went two goals up against Wolves in the cup in midweek, and we still needed penalties to get through. That's how much of a rut we're in that we can't, you, you know, we can't kind of get through. We've got a big game in the Europa Conference League, and who thought I'd say that big game in the Europa Conference League? Um, but you know, this this is an important game on Thursday now because lose that or draw that even, and it really does put the pressure back on. I'm not saying that a, a win is going to kind of ease and everyone magically goes, oh, Nuno's a great manager again, but it at least gives a little bit of confidence back into the squad ahead of next weekend's game, which again is also crucial because he has to go out there and prove that there is more to this Tottenham side. So, you know, I remember when when he joined, there's a couple of Wolves fans that work with us on, on the mirror and they said, oh, you know, good luck and enjoy these boring dour games and you know we're kind of thinking oh well it was a bad last season that he had with Wolves you know maybe they're just a bit sour they referred to him as the Portuguese Pulis at one point and, and you're kind of thinking oh well maybe it's just because it, it didn't work out in the final season for him and that he had actually done a good job with Wolves up until that final season missed the striker sold one of their best players you know it was always going to be tough but but yeah, they were right. Everything that they've come that they've said, you know, there's no attacking intent there. You know, we've got two of the best strikers in the Premier League in Son and Kane who have linked up, you know, numerous times. You know, they're among the best partnerships in the Premier League by the amount of goals that they've assisted and scored for each other. But there's no attacking threat there. Like, you know, like even when we played against Man City, you know, we 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 did well on the counter-attack there. We won that game. But realistically, you go back and you look at it and you kind of think Spurs didn't have that many opportunities going forward. Same against Wolves a week later, same against Watford. The worry is, is that, you know, I don't look much into expected goals. I'm not one of those people that kind of puts a lot on it, but 
when you've got the worst expected goals ratio in the league and you've got it worse than a team who cannot knock snow off a rope in Norwich, then you've got to really, really question where you're going and, and how long you can you can go down this path for. And especially when, like I said, you've got two good attackers, two great attackers in Son and Kane, you know, to have that low and expected goals at this stage in the season. And like I said, to be below teams who, you know, haven't really shown much in terms of Norwich, in terms of, Burnley this season in terms of you know the other teams that are down the bottom there at the bottom of the league to have a, a worse expected goals tally than that when you've got players like Kane on your side it, it is a worry and it suggests that the manager maybe doesn't know what he's doing and I know there was obviously the stories last week that came out about Paratici wanting Nuno because he favours more defensive style of play over Paolo Fonseca well that isn't going to help the Spurs faithful get behind Paratici at all because you know similar to, to obviously Tom's on a podcast called the Arsenal way and, and there's a way that Arsenal expect to play there's a way that Spurs expect to play as well you know, we can forgive that when you're winning and, you know, probably forgave that when Spurs were winning 1-0 and not doing much in an attacking sense. But now that you're losing and conceding three goals in every game, then obviously that's when the questions start to be asked about whether or not this is the right man to lead the club going forward. There you are. Deep breath. You can, you can <laughs> now just enjoy Tom Waxler wriggle about Arsenal. Um, from a neutral perspective, Tom, yesterday, the one thing that I wish and I always want to see this is when a team's 3-0 up at halftime, especially in a derby game, you kind of want them to maybe put four, five, sixes and really, really like go at the throat. I certainly know, um, you know, as a Sunderland fan, whenever we played Newcastle, we have been in the three nil positions before and you win three nil. You're almost a little bit disappointed that you didn't get more. Did you have that feeling yesterday or were you just happy to to get the win and just happy with the first half performance? Oh, delighted. <laughs> I couldn't really believe what I was seeing in the first half because I, and I, I spoke about this in our previews, like I hate the derby. Like I hate the build up to it. I can't stand it because it's so, I have so much fear because the fear of losing to Spurs to me is the worst thing that can happen for Arsenal in a season. It's horrible. And I'm sure Ned's feeling those feelings on the opposite end of the spectrum now. Like, I hate it. And so when when you do go a few goals up in the first half and that that just all of that angst that you've had built up just is just relieved um <laughs> through blood sweat and tears i suppose uh, of panic it is obviously just such a, a weight off your shoulders um but it was a case of when we hit that 3-0 and went into the second half yeah we could have pushed ahead and there are a lot of arsenal fans that turned around and said we should have you know maybe brought off Xhaka sooner and put on a Pepe and tried to really turn the screw in the second half. But you win games by being smart and you win games by managing them correctly. And I don't think that Arteta, I'd say, was perfect in the second half managing the game. I thought he could have maybe made a Xhaka for a Lokonga change earlier and it would have saved that injury. And it's really easy with hindsight for me to say that. But he could have made a change slightly earlier. It wasn't until, I think, like the 80 second minute when Jacker came off. So I think that change could have happened a bit sooner, especially considering he's not played for three games. He would have come in a little bit cold and, and keeping him on that long was probably a bit of an error. So that is certainly something that we could have changed. But no, I was happy with the, to take that that 3-0 at halftime and to, to think in the second half, we're just going to manage this. If we hit them on the counter, we can maybe get the fourth. We could have had a fourth. There was a penalty shout on Gabriel, which is very loose as well. But, you know, they're, they're ones that you've seen given. I mean, the Harry Kane on and Ben White situation at the time, when I saw it in real time, I couldn't quite believe that there hadn't been a penalty given for that. So it, it, the game can change so quickly. So I'm thankful for the 3-0 and I'm thankful for the way in which we just kind of managed it in the second half. What did you make of, you know, the fact you managed to get two homegrown players on the score sheet as well in a derby game? You know, Saka hasn't, you know, I think it was his first goal in 20. Am I right in saying? I think I'm just like that. It's close to 20, yeah. 
and Emil Smith Rowe as well, of course, an Arsenal Academy player. It must be good though to see them players doing well in games like this. Yeah, absolutely. Because our recruitment over the last 10 years has been really so poor that we've needed to, to see these young guys push through and, and to bring this youth into the side. The, the last two years has shown a change in the recruitment, but it's also seen Emil Smith-Rowe and Saka come through. But the biggest criticisms of those two, despite their great potential, has been their lack of goal output and the lack of contributions to goals through assists. So for both of them to get in a goal and assist in such a big game could be the real touch paper for them to go on and be a catalyst to, to achieve even more goals and assists. And interestingly, despite Nicolas Pepe arguably being the better performer out of him and Saka at the start of this season, Arteta chose to drop Pepe, move Saka from the left to the right where he's performed so well for England, of course. And we saw a great display from him on the right and assuredly really established himself as the number one pick for that right-hand side. And where do you see Arsenal now? You know, we looked ahead to that the fixtures and I'll, I'll quickly get them back up now. Mm. Um, you've got Brighton coming up, who away from home will be a difficult game. Crystal Palace at home, Aston Villa at home as well coming up. You know, if, if Arsenal were say, to get seven points from that, seven or nine points, you'd begin to be thinking, well, you're going to be within touch and distance of the top four at that point, especially with Manchester United losing at the weekend, Chelsea losing at the weekend as well, Liverpool dropping points. Mm. You begin to then say, well, maybe Arsenal can, I'm not saying get in the top four, but certainly be much closer to it than what we thought a few weeks ago. Or am I just getting a little bit ahead of myself and maybe we just need to have a little bit <laughs> more, um, I don't know what the word would be. Patience and yeah, just patience. Care. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'd, obviously, I'd, I'd love to get carried away. It'd be great, but I, you don't want to do that. These three games are, are absolutely key. Last season, Arsenal, and to be fair, under Arteta's tenure, Arteta's turned Arsenal into a team that no longer have those stats against the big six teams at home or away of losing all of them or failing to win any of them. We got the first win against Man United away from home in the league since 2006. We won against Spurs at home twice. Um, now, of course, we did we did lose the away game. Um, Chelsea, we went to Stamford Bridge last season and, and stole that 1-0 victory. Like Arsenal can compete now against these big teams in the league. It's been the results against the lower oppositions in the table that we've it really dropped key points, losing to Burnley at home last season, uh, drawing against Southampton at home where we really should have lost that game, going away to places like Burnley and, and dropping points again. Like We dropped so many key points in games that we shouldn't have done, losing 3-0 at home to Aston Villa last season. And we've got that game in three games time with the narrative behind Emmy Martinez involved with it too. So the Brighton game away has always been a bit of an issue for us. I think when we won there last season, it was the first time in six attempts away from home um, against Brighton. Crystal Palace, again, another side, especially away from home that we've struggled with, but at home usually have a fairly good record against them. If Arsenal, as you say, can pick up seven to nine points in the next three games, whilst Manchester United have got some really tough fixtures and, of course, you've got the added extra of European football for these sides above us, that it could be a real change. But, as I say, don't want to get ahead of ourselves. Let's just chill on that and, and see it as a, as a game-by-game sort of thing. We'll jump now to the rest of the Premier League. There are Ned, other games. What? There are other yeah, games this weekend? <laughs> <laughs> there were. Uh, Ned on... Friday, me and you were on a podcast and, and I very, very naively tipped Chelsea to beat 
Man City and said that it should be quite comfortable. And I was questioning Guardiola and you know he's, the way he's been behaving, certainly in press conferences. And then Man City do what they do to Chelsea, get a 1-0 win, very comfortable. Thomas Tuchel said it was a deserved victory for them as well. <laughs> you know, what, what do you make of Man City? Every time you, you think that then they're not going to be the team they are, they then pull out a performance like that. And are they now the title favourites? After all saying that Chelsea are 100% the title favourites because they've signed Lukaku, are Man City now again favourites to retain the Premier League? No, because they're still lacking that striker, I think. You know, I know obviously Gabriel Jesus is getting the goals from, but he's not the out and out centre forward that they need and I think that's what's still going to cost them when it comes to it and that there are going to be you know it, it's, it's like those games against Southampton and and the other games that they've struggled in and even against Spurs you know if they had an out and out striker in those matches then you know they would be further up the table they would be clear they would be leaders by now I think and then we would be saying that they're title favourites but no I don't I don't think they are and I, I'm, I'm at risk of kind of repeating your error from uh, from Friday Connor, in, in writing Man City off for the rest of the season you know I mean they are a juggernaut and when they do get going it's very tough to stop them this could be the result that really does kind of tip them off during the season because again you know we all remember last year and that they were struggling to get into their stride and then they kind of started winning games left right and centre and went on that mad winning run and that's what won them the title in the end so when they do start stringing results together that's when they really really do start to hit form you've got a tough game uh, in midweek against Paris Saint-Germain. I know this is a Premier League review podcast, but forgive me here. And if and, and they've got a tough game again next weekend against Liverpool. This is the week that I know it's only September, but it really does have the opportunity to define their season. Because if they come out now and we're, we're sat here next Monday talking about them winning the next two matches as well, and they've won three in a row against Chelsea, against PSG, against Liverpool, then yes, they probably are title favourites and they probably do deserve that mantle. But for me at the minute, I think they've still, they're just lacking that real attacking goal scoring threat in attack, that real focal point. And I know, you know, we've probably said this every week since the start of the season for Man City, but I think that's what's going to cost them when it comes down to it. Tom, what do you make of Chelsea? Because they have been uh, sort of just so consistent. That's probably the word you'd use. They've just been so consistent since Thomas Tuchel came in. And that was, for me, the worst I've seen them play, especially in a big game as well. Yeah, look, I I have been petrified of the idea of Romelu Lukaku being added, and it was perfectly displayed when Chelsea came to the Emirates and and ruined us, uh, and it was easy for them. And Lukaku seemed to be the perfect addition, but there is always going to be with Tuchel um, a friction that that will grow. He's had it at Dortmund, he's had it at PSG. And the threat is is that after six months and the Champions League trophy and and a top four place after the what Lampard had struggled to kind of achieve in his first six months of last season, is that the friction will begin to grow because characters that have these traits will always kind of consistently find that they will grow at the clubs that they're at. So if this is if this is a real turning point and a key point for Tuchel to try and look at this and go, right, we can't allow this now to slide. We've been on such a high to lose to what we would consider probably the main title challenges this season at home will either be the making or the breaking of us. Teams can lose those games and go on to win titles. I mean, you look at our Manchester City against Liverpool. I think the game that they may have lost that season was against Liverpool that they went on to, to get the, the century of, of points. So, and they still go on and, and do what they need to do to, to win the title. So if Chelsea wants to do that, it is going to be the fallout from this match, which defines their season. And to win the title in the Premier League with Liverpool and Manchester City, you can't afford to lose more than three-ish games during a season. It's it's that really close. So 
Chelsea have to build a run. Tuchel, I think, will answer a lot of critics in these next few weeks, especially with the, the big Champions League game as well that's coming up for them too. So we'll see. But with Manchester City, I'm on board with everything that Ned said there. They're, you know, it's it's impressive what, what Pep Guardiola can, can change about your opinion of him when you just think you're going to doubt him and then you pull one a result like that out of the bag. In Manchester United, Ned, um, you know, Oli Gunnar Solskjaer under some pressure. It's fair to say if a defeat at home against Aston Villa, it was it was almost comical in the sense that they managed to beat West Ham because of a missed penalty last week and then cost themselves a draw against Aston Villa because of a missed penalty. The main thing I took away from the game, though, was was Solskjaer, that he was talking about an offside in there and and I don't think it was an offside but constantly finds a reason why his team got beat rather than looking within himself and going maybe we got it wrong um, what do you make of Manchester United and what do you make of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer I don't know if he's trying to almost emulate Ferguson because that was that was his kind of thing wasn't it that there's there's always a reason that it was never my fault it was never the team's fault there was always something against us wasn't it that that was always kind of Ferguson's way you know kind of the world's against us and and he kind of built that mentality so I don't know whether or not that's kind of rubbed off on him or he's trying to kind of emulate that from from a gaffer that he had so much success under um but yeah, for this United squad, you know, I'd, I'd sat here in the early weeks of the season and, I, and I'd said, even before they'd signed Ronaldo, you know, look at the players that they'd added, Sancho and, and Varane, and then you chuck Ronaldo in the mix as well. They they probably had the best transfer window out of the big six in terms of players that they brought in. And yet they're still struggling for, for consistency. You know, like a squad that has World Cup winner Varane, one of the best players of all time in Ronaldo in there. And then, you know, the other attacking talents that they've got, they should be doing far better than they have done against Southampton and against Aston Villa. You know, there's enough players in those squads uh, to to kind of find the ways to unlock defences when they ask you those questions. You know, when Man City come up against Aston Villa later on in the season, they'll find a way past them. When Liverpool do the same, they'll probably find a way. I know they lost 7-2 at Villa Park last year, but they'll probably find the answers that they need to Chelsea likewise as well. But Man, City, uh, Man United, sorry, just despite having all those attacking players around them and having all these ways, they just can't they can't click and and it's weird as well when you're starting to see Paul Pogba being played as a left winger as well when you've got other players in that squad like I know he's doing well in that position but you know he's a centre mid he's won a World Cup for France and centre mid he's not worked so much for him in the Premier League but you have to wonder whether or not Man United have signed the right players to play alongside him again I think I've said that previously on several podcasts on this show it's just yeah it's just all a bit weird and Solskjaer is rightly under pressure because to have like I said you know to bring in players like Varane like Sancho like Ronaldo you are expected to challenge for top honours. We're not talking about, you know, I know we, we spoke last week and we said, oh, he's missed a good opportunity to go out there, get that first bit of silverware, win the Carabao Cup. But actually with the squad that he's got now, he is expected to challenge for the Champions League, for the Premier League. Even an FA Cup, I don't think would, would be enough to kind of satisfy the appetite of Man United fans. Um, but, you know, this is this is Solskjaer. We've been here before where, you know, similar to Pep, we've all written him off saying that he's sacked you know probably to, to an extent probably Arteta as well saying that he's, he's next for the chop and then they always seem to kind of find that result that they need to that performance at the right time put the critics to bed for a few months and then the cycle kind of repeats itself and they're back there maybe not so much Guardiola on that cycle he only does it once a season but but definitely for Solskjaer it feels like we're always here a couple of times a season where oh you know Man United might sack him gets a good result good, good performance does all right for the next couple of months and then we find ourselves down the line again oh he might get sacked and, and everything seems to repeat itself I mean oh dogs have a little shake there um, <laughs> do you I mean I was talking to um, one of my friends after the Man United game on Saturday and you think you know would Ronaldo and Varane have a say in this and think can we get Zidane to, to potentially 
come over to Manchester United at some point. That was just kind of me thinking aloud, but you know, that would be dangerous for everyone else in the Premier League. Uh, Tom will jump to Liverpool now, 3-3 against Brentford. Not often you see well, Virgil van Dijk in particular concede three goals. Oh, you did mention that Aston Villa game, and I suppose he was playing that day mm-hmm. when Liverpool got beat 7-2. But defensively vulnerable against Brentford, and, and mind you, you must say Brentford were absolutely excellent as well going forward. But you know that was an uncharacteristic uh, draw for Liverpool, I think it's fair to say, over the last few years. Yeah, it is. I, the thing about Liverpool is, is that, and I think I've maintained this, I think they had the best starting eleven in, in the Premier League. And I think they it's the depth in that team that, that will maybe hold them back ever so slightly. But when it comes down to performances, no matter if you've got the Van Dykes, the Robertsons, the Trent Alexander-Arnolds of this world, to expect a clean sheet in every single game is is fanciful. Like, you are, there are going to be games throughout a season where you do concede three goals, surprisingly, as you just talked about there, the Aston Villa game that was just absolutely ridiculous uh, during that season. So it's... You, you are going to have games where sometimes a team just have their day, open you up and, and two or three of your defenders or your goalkeeper is just not having the best of days. And I felt like that was very much the case for Liverpool. The, what was good for them is that the likes of Salah and Jota weren't having one of those days. So if it was a case of everyone, you could have even seen Liverpool maybe losing that game. But because they were able to have that quality in the forward line and the midfield with Henderson, I thought had a very good game, like just able to drag that team out of the mire and out of a possible defeat away from home. And as an Arsenal fan, I know how Brentford is a very difficult place to go uh, this season. And maybe we'll see some some other big sides drop points uh, in, in West London, of course. And if we do, it, it won't be a massive surprise, I don't think. So Liverpool, yeah, I, I expect them to bounce back from this result, absolutely. And to, to continue a very strong run that they're having. And despite this drop of points, they're still top of the table. And, and that's the main statistic that will matter to them at the end of the day. Yeah, Ned, for, for Brentford, it seems that every year there's a team that comes up and, and does what they're doing right now. You know, Leeds did it last year. Wolves were one of them teams as well where everyone was like, oh, you know, they, they came up and did very well. Sheffield United, of course, did it as well. So every year there's a team that always comes up and the, the play style just works for whatever reason and nobody can quite figure it out. On Brentford, that team this year, do you see them finishing sort of somewhere between 10th and 7th? I think so. Maybe tenth, not so much. Maybe kind of twelfth. I think you know. I think they'll be well clear of the relegation fight, um, and and I think that they'll be in the Premier League again next season. You know, they've been impressive. But one thing that I will say that kind of links those squads as well that you said there about Wolves, Sheffield United, Leeds. I know they're known for it, but not so much. Obviously, last year when they came back into the Premier League because there was no crowds in the Premier League. But but all those four teams all have a great you know backing and support. You know, obviously I'll, I'll drop Leeds out of it a little bit because obviously there was no crowds in there. But the supporters are definitely getting behind Brentford, definitely making it a hostile atmosphere. It's tight, it's narrow. You know, even when you approach the ground, you know, I think you look at the pictures and you just see how on earth have they squeezed the Premier League ground in there, and then they squeeze all those fans inside there as well. You know, it's a hostile atmosphere, but they're playing well and they're playing without fear. Um, and I think that's a big thing as well. You know, when there is no, there is no pressure on you, you can just go out and enjoy yourself and, and have a great time. And that's what Brentford are doing. You know, a lot of these players, you know, Ethan Pinnock, I watched him when he was playing for Forest Green Rovers five years ago against Dagenham and Redbridge. And and now he's, you know, scoring goals in the Premier League against Liverpool. It's mad, isn't it? Like kind of how those, how those things turn. And, and the same goes for the rest of that squad because they're not these big household names in that, in that Brentford team. But the recruitment has been so brilliant. They've gone out, worked out exactly what they need, what that player brings in to the squad. You know, the whole kind of money ball ethos that, that Liverpool go along with as well. But the difference is, is that the Liverpool players are a little bit better known and, and more expected of them. These Brentford boys can just go out, express themselves, have a good time and just enjoy it, enjoy the ride. And at the minute, they're doing exactly that. 
And we'll jump now to the to bottom end of the league to finish off. Southampton lost yesterday against Wolves, disappointing. Newcastle still without a win. Leeds without a win. Burnley without a win. And Norwich, of course, without a point. Um, it's not often you're at this stage of the season, you've still got so many teams without victories. Uh, normally, everyone's generally got one by this point in the season. Which of them, Tom, are you most worried about? I mean, Norwich, you know, that's a given. Yeah. I think everyone's kind of written <laughs> them off. But apart from Norwich, which of the other teams down there do you do you fear for most this season? Yeah, I mean, you, I think we talked about this on a previous show, kind of our favourites, and I think I said my three were Norwich, Burnley and Southampton. Um, and those three, I feel, are probably my favourites still to go down. It was interesting because we did that pre- uh, preview ahead of the, the Watford-Norwich game. And saying that I thought that Watford, I thought just have enough quality actually to to turn those games with some of the signs they've made with Sissoko being there and with the with Dennis being there and players that are just gonna gonna put in performances and Premier League quality performances because they've signed quite smartly but kept some of the crucial figures of that team together. They didn't go all Fulham uh, about their kind of recruitment in, in the summer, which is always a bit of a danger when you get promoted back to the Premier League. So I am confident that Watford will probably have enough to stay up after their, and they've got two wins, of course. But of those teams, you say that the bottom five that have got no wins, Newcastle, again, I think are another side that will probably end up having enough quality. A lot of their kind of hope of survival is on Callum Wilson's fitness. If he's fit, he's a massive goal for it. If Joe Willock can be the player that he was for them last season, then they'll keep them up. Alan Samaximan feels a bit like he's carrying them at the moment. Uh, and every team down there usually has one of those. Norwich have Pookie, etc. So if those players are firing, there's always going to be that hope that you can stay up and, and ASM is, is at the moment. So you would hope that they've got enough. Southampton, though, I think they're lucky to probably be where they are. I think that the, the loss of Danny Ings will prove too great for them across a whole season. And I just I just think that Hassan Hutter hasn't been able to get the quality players and that he needs to really play a system that was so successful for him in Germany in the, at the end of the day. And I think Southampton's luck in the Premier League is is going to run out and it might be, well, actually, I think I'd probably put a solid bet on it being this season, to be honest. Yeah, and I thought yesterday there was a lot of empty seats at Southampton, um, which mm. was surprising. Normally it's a busy stadium. Ned uh, leads, you know, another defeat last minute. Uh, defeat against West Ham and it was two late goals as well that went against them they just seem to have lost that sort of spark that they had under Bielsa it's like the, the shines are wearing off on Bielsa ball yeah and there's always this kind of this idea that under Bielsa because he plays such a uh, an intensive style of play that eventually the, the, the teams do hit a bit of a brick wall and I think this is actually one of the longest spells that he's had in management for, for several years as, as Leeds boss so you kind of do you know as, as Thomas I know about some of the other teams you kind of Leeds don't have that lack of quality in them whereas Southampton and, and Norwich maybe do but it's just about making it click and making it work and 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 again, you know, we spoke about kind of, you know, Brentford and they've come up and played a good style of play and, and leads with that last season. But every team's had that that game, those those two games against them last year. So they've learned from it. They've seen them. They know exactly what they're coming up against now. You know, they know how to counter the threats. They know that, that leads kind of thrive in a chaos, you know, kind of scenario. So you try and cut down those opportunities for them where they've got their right backs coming into centre mids, their centre mids going all over the place, you know, that you try and make sure that leads, you, you kind of reduce those, those opportunities for them. There was that mad game against Man United where they still looked good at the start of the season and yet they still end up being thrashed. You know, they looked okay in it because, but they just didn't, I don't know. Is it is it Bamford? Is he is he struggling for goals? I don't know if it's that. You know, but it just seems that 
that there's errors in both ends of the pitches. Like we knew that they were open and vulnerable last season. They maybe came, you know, there was games where they came unstuck where perhaps they shouldn't have because of their defensiveness, but their attack was able to kind of bail them out in a few times. You know, but this season the defence seems more open at the back. The attack just can't seem to find the goals. Players like Rafinha are good, but they're still not as good as we were used to them being last season. So it's just, I think when you play such an intensive style of play and you drop maybe you know, 5%, it might be a small little bit, a small little fraction that you drop off. But as soon as you do, that opens up spaces for the opposition to exploit more and more. Okay, well, we're just about out of time now. So Tom from the Arsenal way, thanks for, for dropping in. And, and well, I'm sure it was no hardship today coming on talking about, <laughs> talking about football. And Ned, um, just got to thank you for showing a brave face. <laughs> He's still smiling, bless him. He's still smiling. Um, so thanks everyone for, for listening to our podcast of Largely Cold Takes, it's fair to say. <laughs> Judging by uh, my predictions from Friday and how it turned out on the Monday. Uh, please remember to subscribe and please enjoy the rest of your week. 